This month we are doing a series called Walking It Out. Last month we did a whole series on the supernatural. And the reason why we are doing a series called Walking It Out is because the supernatural, as, as important as it is, the other side of our life is just the natural. And yet in all of it, we have to figure out how to walk as Christians, how to live as Christians, how to live out the calling that God has put on our lives. And so if God has put a calling on your life, he wants to manifest himself inside of us. That's the supernatural. Jesus said that he has come to give us the keys of the kingdom. And whatever happens on earth will happen in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind uh, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's a supernatural connection. But this month what we realized was we really had to open up the whole thing of how do we do this day by day? How do we operate naturally in our lives so that it, it, it enhances or encourages or opens us up to be able to allow the supernatural to work in, inside of us? There's no point in asking for God and the supernatural to operate through us or in us if we don't have a proper balance in our lives. Sometimes we can blame the devil for things that he has never had a hand in whatsoever. Sometimes we can ask God to fix things in our lives when he said, I've already given you the tools to do something about it. Live according to the way that I have designed you. And for about a year now, I've been actually doing a study personally, just for myself, about this topic that I wanna talk about today, which is work, rest, and play. Work, rest, and play. And it would seem like an appropriate time to be able to talk about this. Because what I've discovered is that there has to be a balance between your work, your rest, and your play. And I think sometimes that we can often have an imbalance which causes us problems in our lives. If anything, when you were young, you were probably really good at playing. You were excellent at playing. Playing was never a problem to you. Playing is something that you do when you're a child and then your parents start to teach you how to work, to teach you how to look after your bedroom, how to look after your toys, how to tidy up after yourself. I'm, I'm always telling my kids to pick up their clothes off of the, the bathroom floor because they have this habit of just throwing their towel and their stuff on the floor and then I have to teach them how to properly work. But the older we get, the more we tend to be about work and not so much about rest or play. Would you agree with that? It's just, and we can say that, oh, it's because we're adults. But I believe that God has called us to have a balance of these things. Yes, there might be more play when you're a child and maybe more work when you're an adult, but none of them should supersede the, the other one. None of them should get rid of any of the rest. So today, looking at this, I wanna go through them one by one. Work, rest, and play. Let's look at the first one, work. Number one, work. When I was looking at work and I'm asking the question of what is the balance of work, sometimes what you have to understand is when you're looking for the balance of things, you have to look at the extremities of them. And the two extremities of work are this. Work is an idol, number one, or work is idol, number two. These are the two extremes of either side. You'll see I've used the word idol on both, uh, both different meanings there. Yeah, it's a really smart idea, right? So you've got idol on one side and you've got idol on the other side. Work is idle. What, work is an idol. What's that all about? Well, I think you probably understand that that's all about being a workaholic. How many of you would be willing to admit that you maybe work too much? How many of you don't know? You put your hand up, way up high. Oh, uh, okay, thank you for being honest. The rest of you are liars, right? <laughs> but 
I think we can admit we probably work too much. How many of you spouses would like to put your hand up and just point at your other spouse, right? Tell them that they work too much. All you have to do is poke them with your elbow. That's what works. It's, it's called a spiritual awakening, right? Just poke them with your elbow and it helps them to understand that they probably work too much. We work, we work, we work. In America, I think we pride ourselves on the work. You know, we're a capitalist country. We're the richest country in the world. And so therefore, it was based on our ethics for work. But yet we probably have this huge problem with stress. We probably consume the most uh, uh, pharmaceutical drugs in order to try and calm down the stress that we have in our bodies simply because we're probably working too much. How many, how many weeks do you take off for vacation a year? Do you get one week's pay of vacation? Maybe two weeks pay of vacation. What about three weeks pay of vacation? Anyone get four weeks pay of vacation? Anyone? Four weeks, four weeks, a few of them. In Europe, in some countries, they have up to two months of vacation, paid vacation. In Sweden and in Norway, if your wife has a baby, you get a year off to raise the child, right? Some of you are like, yes, and you're not allowed to lose your job, by the way. Others of you are like, no, I don't know if I could stay home and raise a child. Maybe you just don't have those skills. I get it. But the fact is, does that mean that they're a better culture and they're a better, they're, they're, they have a, a better sense of life and quality of life? That's not really what I'm looking to talk about. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand, do we have the right balance in our life for work? In fact, one thing that I've noticed is that we can sometimes boast about the amount that we work. I was on an MBA course a, a couple of years ago, and I remember people talking about how much they worked. And someone said, well, I, I work at least a minimum of 60 hours, like it was a boast. And then I looked up some statistics, and they say that the average CEO can work up to 100 hours a week. 100 hours. Calculate that. What time would you have to get up in the morning? The CEO of Apple gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning in order to be ready by 3.45 to start his workday. Some of you are like, he's out of his mind. But what is the balance? Is it okay for some people to work a lot and some people to not work a lot? What sometimes that I think has happened is, and I read an article in The Guardian, where there was a day when richness was, pro, you were proven, you could prove that you were rich by the amount that you bought. And so what we did is we demonstrated our, conspicuous, our richness through conspicuous consumption. But now in our culture, we've actually switched it away from not so much about consumption, but more about production. Now we have conspicuous production that I can prove my value. I can prove um, what I'm worth in culture. I can prove how great I am by how much I work. And yet many of us have enough for what we would ever need in life. We don't actually need more cars. We don't need more stuff. We don't need a more, another picture frame. You don't need another candle in your house. But for some reason, we want to have those things. But we want to have the power to be able to have what we want. The power is something that we really want. So therefore, we're giving ourselves over to this work, work, work mentality. Now let's look at the other side of this spectrum. We've got work is an idol, I-D-O-L, and we've got work is idol, I-D-L-E. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, the person who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, of course, this is about laziness, and I'm sure you know, uh, maybe you have a sympathy for someone who is actually homeless and, and begging on the side of the street. Maybe you don't have a sympathy for those people, but in either sense, in either situation, uh, which, whichever way you look at it, you're always calculating, does this person deserve to eat? Now, you could say, everybody deserves to eat. We should give them food. We should give anybody that's hungry food, except the Bible says someone who's not willing to work, not 
able, but not willing to work, should not eat, is what the Bible says. But I believe there's another part of this idleness to our culture, and it's this. It's the desire to make as much as possible whilst doing as little as possible. It's the desire to make as much money as possible and do as little. Now, I understand if you have a business and you grow that business as large as you can and you want to get to the place where you can retire and the business literally pays you in order to live. I get that. We call this passive income. Many of you probably have businesses or you've, you've, you've started businesses where you make passive income. I'm not trying to shoot that down or say it's wrong. All I'm trying to say is trying to have income whilst doing nothing is wrong because I believe that we were called to work. I believe we're called to do something. Oftentimes what we do is we look at work as a necessary evil. It's something we have to do in order to pay our bills, which is why lotteries are so important. Why lotteries, so not, not so important, sorry. Why lotteries are so uh, 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 um, popular, there's the word, popular, there you go. All the ones that are playing the lottery, popular, popular. That's the word, that's the word. Because we want to be able to have enough money to, so that we don't have to do anything, right? I get the whole thing of I don't wanna be forced to do something, but listen, are you forced to work or are you called to work? There's a difference. You might have to say, yes, I have to pay my bills, but really there's a difference if you're called to work and it doesn't matter if you need to work, you're still called to work. Here's an interesting statistic for you. Did you know that the most sick days that are taken are on a Monday and a Friday? Oh, <laughs> hello, Jesus, hello. Is that a statistic taken from heaven? Monday and Friday are the days that we seem to get sick. I'm not feeling too well today, Both Saturday and Sunday was so awesome, I don't want it to end. I'm just living for the weekend. I need to take Monday off, Monday and Friday. Why not Sunday, hmm? Why don't we seem to get as easily sick on a Saturday? Saturday and Sunday are the days that we least get sick on. Did you know that? Monday and Friday, statistically, is the days we get sick on. That tells me that we think of work as a necessary evil. It's not something we desire. We desire more to live for the weekend. Let me ask you this question. Listen, if you didn't get paid to do your job, would you still be doing it? If you didn't need to get paid because you won the lottery or something, would you still be doing that job? See, most of us would probably say no. It tells us what we really feel and think about our job, but the answer you should give is, if God tells me to, I will do it. You see, there's a reason why you're working, and it can't be just that you're paying bills. If it is, you haven't figured out your sonship and your daughtership with God. You haven't figured out your position in the kingdom of God. The two extremes of this idleness is about putting pleasure or power above work. Work is a good thing. The wrong goal of work is to gain security. We only work because we're trying to pay our bills. We're trying to survive. We're trying to make ends meet. That's not the goal of work. So what does the Bible say about work? This is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, in John 5, 16, Jesus said, my father has been working until now and I too am working. He's pointing to the father and he's saying, I'm working. I've, God's been working all the way up to this point and so am I. 
Then in John 5, 19, he says, and I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. You see, he's not working. Jesus worked for most of his life as a carpenter. He only had three years, three and a half years of ministry and he had uh, something like 25 years of of being a carpenter. Most of his life was actually made up of work, but even with that, he said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. What is he doing here? He's mimicking the Father. So what is he mimicking? What is the Father doing that he's mimicking? Let me tell you this. God in the beginning, the first thing he did was work, right? The first description we have of what God does in the beginning, apart from the Holy Spirit brooding over the earth, is he works. And how many days does he work for? Six days. Six days he works for, and one day takes off. Not five days. Our culture says work for five days, have fun for one day, and then take a rest on another day. But the Bible says we're meant to, we're meant to work for six days. What was God doing in that time? The answer is in Genesis 1 and 2, that God was creating the environment he wanted to grow the relationships he wanted. The purpose of creating the earth, of creating all the flowers, of creating the earth and the sky was so that he could have relationship with humankind. The point of God's work was relationship. It was all centered around this relationship. Therefore, our work should be for the sake of relationship and not the other way around. Relationship is not there to help us to work. Our work is there to help us have relationship. Marriages break down. Families break down because of workaholism, because dad's not there to be home with his children, because dad's not there to help with the wife, because mom's not there because she's so busy doing something else and not being around at home. Listen, work is a tool for our families. It's a tool for a relationship. It's not a survival game. If we are living in a survival game, you have not figured out the economy of the kingdom of God. God wants to bless you for over, over, over abundantly, not because he wants to make you rich, but because he wants rich relationships. Are you following me so far? All right, number two, let's look at rest. Rest, number two. First one was all about work. The second one is all about rest. This year, we actually looked at the, a thing called the Big Ten. You remember what that was about? It was all about the Ten Commandments, right? And if we take the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, we look at the Ten Commandments, we did a whole series on it. You can go online and, uh, and look on our website or, or wherever you get your podcast, and you can see the series we did called the Big Ten. But if we take the Ten Commandments, we can see that they were put in a certain order, and that order is really very specific. And if anything, the first five are all about God and the second five are about how we treat each other and how we relate to God. But if I asked you to reorder the commands based on number one, the one you would hate being caught doing, as opposed to all the way down to number 10, the one you're not too bothered about whatsoever. I asked a few people about this and, and, and they said that, yeah, the one I would hate to be caught doing would actually be probably adultery. That's the worst thing I can imagine. 
In fact, you can see the thing that's going on in Hollywood and in our media right now of these moguls and these actors that are getting caught uh, sexually abusing uh, their uh, uh, people and, and, and abusing their position of power and the shame that is coming on. Everyone's you know, crying out for, for justice, etc. cetera. And, and, and I get that. I understand that. That would pre- probably be the one thing I would hate to be caught doing is cheating on my wife. Next one might be murder. Next one, you know, uh, murdering, yeah, you know, you know, whatever. Okay, so it goes all the way down. But the last one I'd probably be least concerned about would be taking a rest. Did you not go to church today? Did you not take a rest today? I know, I'm so ashamed. I'm just so, sh- I can't believe this. The world is looking at me right now. I just can't show my face anymore. I need to be fired from my job because I didn't take a day of rest. And yet, it's one of the commands. Here's another interesting thing. The day of rest was something that God did first before he kept any other command that we see. If anything, a day of rest preceded the Ten Commandments. A day of rest preceded the fall. Rest was something that was a part of God's balance of his own life, the balance of life itself. Does God need to rest or does he want to rest? It doesn't matter. What we know is it's that pattern that exists. And that's the same pattern that he's put inside of us as well. I think sometimes what we do is we use rest to actually recover from work. It's a way of trying to stop being tired. Maybe some of you, what you do is you use Netflix or TV at night in order to try and wind your brain down so you can, you can try and kind of get it settled down so you can get tired enough to watch sleep. Or what you do is you binge watch Stranger Things and then you get so flipping tired, you can't stay up anymore. And then you have to rest, but then you get up the other day and you're just as tired as you were the rest of the, the, the day before. Or maybe some of you use alcohol or you use uh, sleeping pills in order to try and get your brain, get your mind, get your body to rest. We're using everything else outside of us to try and make something that should be built internally into us to come into action, to activate inside of us. Why can't I get this rest to activate inside of us? I believe it's because of this. Now watch this. I believe it's because we use rest to try and gain strength. I'm not saying that rest doesn't give you the ability to support the strength that's in your body, but we use rest in order to try and gain strength. But why is it that you can work five days a week and still feel tired taking two days of rest? Why is it that you don't have enough time off in order to rest? What does the Bible say about rest? Here's what the Bible says. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 31, it says, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. This word renew literally means exchange. So wait a second, let's put it this way. Those who wait for the Lord shall exchange their strength. Exchange is not something that you just give and there's nothing back. At Christmas time, if you give a gift to someone and you don't get one back, that's a giving of a gift. But if you give a gift to them and they give you something back, you've now exchanged gifts. This is what the scripture is saying. It's saying that something has to be exchanged in this whole process, in this whole transaction. 
And I believe that it's those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength by exchanging out their worries, their fears, their doubts, their stresses, their problems. You see, the Bible says, cast your, 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 cast your burdens upon the Lord because he cares for you. We're meant to exchange those things off. Now, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't say that you're promised to not have stress, that you're promised to not have challenges. If anything, when Jesus prayed for his disciples before he went off to heaven, he said, Father, I pray that you would protect them in this world. Not take them out and keep them away from everything, but protect them in the world. Of course, you're gonna have challenges. Of course, you're gonna have difficulties. Of course, you're gonna have stresses. The question is, what are you doing with those things? Are you just building it into your body and your body's getting tightened up with its, with its muscles and now you're getting headaches and now you're getting stomach problems and you're tensing up and your body can't respond properly and you're getting sick simply because you're getting stressed. You're not exchanging those things off. As Christians, we have to learn how to walk with God to exchange our strength off. Here's another scripture. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, come to me, all those who need to wind down tonight, because I've got some Netflix on, and we could watch Stranger Things together, right? He says, come to me, all who are burdened and weary. That means you're carrying burdens. You've got stress inside of you. You've got difficulty. You've got thoughts that are upon your mind. God is not gonna mag magically snap his fingers, say abracadabra, and they're all going to disappear. No, the Bible says to take captives those thoughts and submit them to Christ. We need to take our thoughts, take our stresses, take our worries and cast them upon him. This last scripture we have is an awesome scripture. In Psalm 23, one to two, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. That's the official scripture for people who die, right? You ever gone to a funeral and we always start reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it goes on and on. And that's the scripture we use to, to bring comfort to ourselves because they're in their final resting place. Let me tell you, this was written for the living, not for the dead. This is written for you. The Lord makes me lie down. Why does it use the word make? I'll tell you why. Because the word make is a very forceful word and it's a, it's a, it's a way of actually putting a person into the right place. It literally means this, equalize. The Lord equalizes me to lie down. Does that mean to go horizontal? What does it mean? I believe that God has actually built into our bodies an, a, 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 an automatic way of how our bodies shut down and equalize ourselves. Because I will bet you that most of you get sick because you're stressed, because you pushed your body too far. You get, you, get, you get lung problems, you get headache problems, you get stomach problems, you get body problems, and it's simply because you're probably carrying too much stress in your body. And your body goes, mm -mm, I'm done, thanks very much, I'm going to bed, right? And then you get to sick, and then you have to go to bed and you have to lie there for a week and you're bored out of your mind. You've already binge watched all the other stuff that you want to see on Netflix and you're bored out of your mind and it's simply because you didn't give your body the time to recover. You didn't give it the strength, the feeding, the proper food, the, 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 the relaxation in order to put into your body where it's able to survive the demands that are upon it. God, I believe, has built an already inbuilt system into your body to equalize itself. It will shut itself down if you don't pay attention to it. Are you hearing me? Many of you are probably even suffering with some sort of sickness right now in your body. 
And maybe you're asking God, God, just heal this, just heal that, just fix this. And he's saying, you need to eat right. I don't need to heal your body when you've already been given the wisdom to stop eating that processed junk, to stop putting yourself through, through, through trauma in your body of working too much. How much money do you need? How much proof do you need to show that you're capable of producing? I've already given you this amazing functional design in your body that needs to be looked after and paid attention to. But here's an amazing thing. Some of us are looking after our bodies and we are working hard and we are resting well too. But sometimes you still don't feel relaxed. Sometimes you don't feel recovered. Sometimes you just haven't had enough rest. What's the problem? I'm glad you asked me. This is the problem. It's the third one. Believe it or not, it's the third one in a row. And it goes work, rest, and play. Play. What is play? Well, I think we all know what play is. Play is about having fun, of course, and and uh, uh, it's, it's something that's very important to us and you probably uh, were very good at it when you were young. But let me ask you this question. There's a question I've been asking people for the whole year. What do you do for fun? What do you do for fun? Do you know, I would say the majority of people have said to me, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what I do for fun. Hmm. Some people have gone, yeah, no, I like to golf. I, I love to golf. And I'm like, great, when's the last time you did it? Yeah, well, um, no, I haven't, I haven't actually done that anytime soon. So you don't actually have any fun in your life. Well, you know, we like to go out to eat. Well, I'm glad you eat, okay? I mean, everyone eats, right? Oh, that's good, but is that what you do for fun? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's what I do for fun. So we don't know what we do for fun. If I asked a five-year-old child, what do you do for fun? They'll go, well, I have my action figures, and I have my Lego, and I have my crayons, my paper, and I love it. And then I go outside, and I throw sticks at useless and pointless stuff just for no reason whatsoever. Then I have my bike, and I like to beat up Tommy, and I like to, and they start giving you a list of things that they do for fun because they know what they like doing. And yet, they have zero budget to have that fun. None whatsoever. You have more money in your power to have that fun. You have the ability to even, you probably even have, how many of you have toys at home right now and you haven't touched it in a while, right? You got toys, yeah. Some hands there, honest ones, the rest of you liars, remember that, okay? Some of you have got objects at home that you bought them and you were going to get it because it was going to be a way of relaxing and having fun. It's a little bit like buying that exercise equipment that you bought at three o'clock in the morning watching QVC and you're like, yeah, and you use it the first day and you're like, this stinks, right? And then you don't use it again. It's like we buy these things, we've got the power to do it, but we don't give the time to it. We don't give the place of honor for it. I believe that what happens is we have used this whole thing of fun in the wrong way. We actually use it to gain happiness because we're hoping that that will give us joy back into our lives. But the Bible doesn't say that joy comes from fun. Joy doesn't come from, from uh, having a pastime. And sometimes I'll see people that are constantly doing something and it's like they're trying to prove that they actually have fun. But doing something doesn't mean they're having fun. How many of you have looked on Facebook and see other people's lives that seem awesome and then you look at your life and go, it's not as awesome as theirs on Facebook, right? And then you feel guilty and you feel bad and you're jealous and stuff. Listen, just because they're doing something doesn't mean they're having fun. There's a purpose for fun. There's a purpose to playing. 
In fact, in Hezekiah 3.16, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, that thou shalt have fun, right? If you're a new Christian, I'm sorry, there is no book of Hezekiah, by the way, okay? I just made that up. Why did I make it up? I'll tell you why. Because there isn't any scripture in the Bible about fun. So some of you are thinking, I knew it. I knew the Bible took all the, sucked all the fun out of life. No, that's not true. What does the Bible say about fun? I'll tell you this. I believe it's built into the culture of the people of God. How do I know that? Because in Leviticus 23, it says that God instituted seven feasts, right? A feast would last a whole week long. That means everyone gets together, you bring a pot pie, you bring chips, you bring the soda. No, that's junk, don't do that. You bring the juice, right? And then, and then everyone gets together and they feast together. They're literally instituted into their culture to have fun, to have relationship, to celebrate God, to celebrate the harvest, to celebrate their salvation, to celebrate freedom from Egypt. They had celebrations throughout the week. We kind of do that, right? We do it in some ways. Usually, it means that someone had to throw a wedding for me to go and actually have fun and dress up properly, right? Is that not right? We had a wedding recently, and... Um, it was great, there was so many of you that were there. And we had the wedding, and of course you have the, the special time where they say, I do, and everyone cries, and then you take pictures, and you're taking selfies up the wazoo, and then later on, you have something to eat. But after that, what happens? Someone starts to dance, right? Nate gets up and he says, I'm taking this thing to the dance floor, right? Murder on the dance floor, right? And the music starts up and it's like, I got the feeling, in my bones, right? And one of your legs starts shaking. You're like, what's going on, right? And then someone goes, we should go up there. And then they go up to the dance floor. I got this feeling, in my bones. I got my baby. And then they get to the end of it and they dance for five or six minutes. That would have been a whole day's exercise for most of you, Right? But then the next song comes on, it's like, I'm so happy. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I've sat there and I watched them song after song after song after song. And I know some of them have got problems in their bodies. And I'm like, tomorrow, you're paying a price for this. <laughs> sure enough, you get up the next day and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And you danced the night away. Literally, you could have had your pedometer on you and your phones probably start dinging. You've got enough exercise, you don't need to do anymore. Are you kidding me? I got one night, I got the babysitter tonight and they're gonna be paid for all night. I'm gonna have as much fun as I can and you're pedometing that thing off the charts. Your phone has never seen you exercise so much in all your life. I had some friends that went up to New York recently and I said, did you have fun? They said, it was so much fun. I just, I didn't want to come back. It was so much fun. So let me ask you a question. How many miles did you walk when you were there? And they said, oh, about between six to 10 miles a day. I said, if I had asked you to walk 10 miles today, you would have had a heart attack. Why was it that it was so much fun? Because why were they able to do all that exercise and, do, and expend all that energy in their body? Because something is enacted inside of us. It switches to a different part of our brain. It switches to a different part of our spirit when we are recreating. You see, fun means to recreate. Our God is a creator. 
Our God is the original creator. We're literally recreating the same spirit, the same manifestation of joy that he had in the beginning of time. We're mimicking our father, and that's where we get our word recreation from. Hello. Many of us need to see what our father is doing and start mimicking what our father did for the sake of joy, for the sake of relationship. Why? Because it enacts and it rejuvenates a part of our brains and our spirits that work and rest cannot give you. It's the joy of creativity. A few, uh, actually, a few months ago, at the beginning of this year, I, uh, uh, we went off to Scotland and um, we... Um, and, and we decided to take a side trip to go off into the mountains. We went into the mountains, and I was with my, with my, my family, my kids, and my, my mum was there, and my, and my wife was there as well, because I take them with me when I go on vacation, right? And so I said, uh, hey, let's go to the fun park. And, and Rowan, of course, is like, yeah, let's go to the fun park. Let's go to the play park. So we went down to the play park, but Cale really wasn't into the play park thing, right? He wanted to play soccer. He wanted to kick the ball. So I said, you're going to come on the swings with us? And he's like, nah, I'm just going to kick the ball over here. He didn't really want to do that particular thing. It's just not because he was in a huff. It was just because I wanted to kick the ball. So I'm over there with Ron. I'm like, well, let's get on the swings. And they had these two zip lines. I said, Ron, let's have a race to the death on that zip line. And she's like, yes. So we climbed on that thing, as painful as it was, right? And I'm holding on to the zip line. I'm like, ready, steady, go. And then we went, and I won every time. Why? Because I'm heavier, right? And every time I got to the end, I knew I was going to win. I was going to gloat and glory in it. Why? Because I'm having fun, and I don't care what she thinks. I'm like, look at Dada. He's the guy. He knows how to win every time. <sighs> right? I'm having fun. Little Kale over here kicking the ball goes, uh, I think I can beat you, right? And he runs over, and now he wants to race and be a part of the whole thing too. Why? Because when you are with your father or your mother having fun, the joy and the fun goes up a notch. Some of you don't remember having fun when you were a child with your parents because they didn't have the balance in their life. They were too busy working, 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 or being idle, idle, idle. They didn't know to have fun with you and to teach you how to have fun. And what we do is we repeat the process and don't have fun ourselves and forget to show our children how to live life to the full. Listen, God has put a balance into our lives that you're meant to have fun. You're meant to have joy. You're meant to rest. One day a week is what the Bible says. Six days a week, you should be able to work. And all the way throughout the year, everything should be taken with fun. Enjoy it, enjoy it. Jesus said he's come to give life and life to the fool. That's you, F-O-O-L, right? He's come to give life and life to the fool. That's what he said in John 10, 10. Why do we keep giving up that joy, giving up that fun, giving up that, 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 and that play that we should have with each other and especially with the Father? Let me tell you, we need to learn how to activate and to propagate this conversation with God when we are having fun because God is a God of adventure. He's a God who wants to do great things and He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to demonstrate and manifest that adventure. God didn't say, I'm coming to build the kingdom and then you can all come into it. No, no, he said, you build the kingdom. I'm giving it to you. You build the kingdom. Why? Because his plan was always to have the joy of creativity with us and relationship. 
God has called you to an adventure, what is it? You take up too much time with work or worry, learn how to exchange that off to God. Learn how to put it back on Him. You might be working, 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 have all these difficulties, but at the end of the day, take it and put it back on His plate. Say, Father, this is your worry. This is your doubt. This is your trouble. I know you're gonna handle it. I'll be over here when you need me. And then allow yourself to enjoy everything you do by having a conversation with them. Tell them you're so grateful for the joy that's in your life.